The CARE podcast is a way to engage the community when we cannot physically be with you. We believe that it is important to provide many different ways of engagement for our community. And a podcast is just another extension for you to join us in our efforts to continue conversations around social determinants. We believe that this conversation can be had in many ways and should be available to you always. In our podcast, we will largely be tackling all facets of social determinants, such as racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, and many more, and the forms they take in our society. We hope that we are able to be a vehicle of knowledge and increase communal responsibility for the communities that we serve. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. We made it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, after long laugh. And what time is it where you are? Oh, it's good now. Um, I had a meeting earlier. Um, it w- It's eight in the morning right now. So it actually works wow. out really great. And what time is it where you are, Ethan? It is 2 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> We're on the other, like, just on both sides of the Pacific, huh? On, like, the... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. All the time zones. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm Macy and I'm calling in from um, the ho- homeland of the Orang Lawut and also the tropical rainforest here um, of Singapore or Singapore, um, where I was born and, and raised. Um, so born and raised here and also across northern Thailand. Um, and yeah, so in one of my homes. <laughs> nice. Amazing. Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm from, uh, I'm in Hawaii right now on the lands of the Kanako Iwi. Um, and so, yeah, my family, you know, I come from a, a lineage of Asian settlers. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that today. But um, so good to be here. So good to be connected to you both. Yes, yes I miss both of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's uh, a whole lifetime ago that we could actually travel and be together huh <laughs> yeah that was some time ago those were a couple jobs ago <laughs> oh my gosh right <laughs> so i am paris adkins jackson i go by aj i am where i'm from in south los angeles but this is not the original lands of where i I am at this belongs to the san gabrielino and tongva um tribes so i am on their lands Mm. not paying adequate taxes (laughs) Um, (laughs) but i am here with my family who've been brought to this country Mm-hmm. Um, through the slave trades. So welcome everyone. So let me um, first rewind and say the things that I said to you in text for the listeners of the podcast. I invited my friends here to have a conversation about um, our unique experiences in this racialized world, um, but also sort of points of solidarity, points of allyship, where we can better show up for each other. Because of course we have our unique experiences in this particular nation state, 
Um, but there are opportunities for us to show up for each other in solidarity. And I'd like for us to have both of those conversations together because I don't feel like we have enough of those kind of conversations. We either detour mm-hmm. to focusing on each other's traumas um, or we forget our own uh, historical abuses and try to show our allyship. So let's try to do both in a conversation. Hold each other's unique experiences as sacred, but also recognize where we can step up for each other. So I've asked everyone to talk about their experiences, number one, but wherever there's a point of solidarity, to particularly demarcate that moment and say, that's a point of solidarity. I know I share that experience, that feeling you're naming. And then also mark points of allyship we can have for each other when we hear an experience and say, you know what, I didn't know that or I haven't been paying enough attention to that experience and I can step up my allyship in that area. So let's start with the first question, which is what voices, what communities are speaking through you? So who do you bring with you today? Macy, I'll follow you. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you so much, AJ, for bringing us together. I think this is just, you know, as you mentioned, um, such a powerful point um, and moment in in human history, right? And and also the micro time of um, both, you know, the 1921 Tulsa race riots and and just how you beautifully interwove that with um, the, the bubonic plague, but also just the, 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 the global pandemic that we're in um, that demands us to look at the points of interconnection and um, and interrelation in a way that um, I think uh, is is right in front of our eyes and that we can't ignore and, and also all the you know multiple sort of um, in air quotes pandemics of um, anti-black racism, structural racism, the anti-Asian hate that's going on. So just appreciate I wanted to appreciate that. Um, and I think that has really come through um, the the lens that I, I grew up with and and um, across, you know, Singapore and, and, and Northern Thailand and kind of grew up um, here in Hokchu community with my family. Um, and, and so I, I really think firstly, you know, my parents who have structured those relationships across lands and, and Lahu elders who, um, have, and, and the Lahu, so I grew up also with the Lahu tribe in Northern Thailand, um, and the Lahu people are one of the 42, groups that are currently recognized by the Network of Indigenous Peoples in Thailand. Um, and I, I think often about what it meant to be a kid kind of growing up and, and navigating languages and lands and the need to um, think about my my role in, in understanding my own experiences and my roles um, as a sister, as a daughter, as an auntie, right? As you, as you grow older, um, 
across these uh, across these places too. And so I think one of the people that um, immediately came to mind as you were asking that question was um, also my uh, my grandma, who um, I'm here back in Singapore to see, um, and the ways in which she was always a storyteller and she was always, um, uh, you know, our last generation of people who were land-based uh, and, and like my great grandpa was, and he was um, a farmer and, and um, you know, especially during the war here, World War II, lived deep in the forests um, of Malaya and um, what it means to know the lands and, and live with lands in that way. And um, I think as Singapore sort of grew and developed, like my parents didn't, um, didn't grow food anymore, right? And, and therefore I didn't. Um, but then uh, my relatives in Northern Thailand did. And, and so um, uh, our elders like, uh, and, and my friends like Da and Jamon and, you know, we we had those sort of um, ways of of continuing to to grow food and fruits and and all of that in in Lahu community and um, and and feeling like I so longed and sort of desired for that um, back um, on this you know city island and um, so I just think about those those connections and um, those are the people that kind of uphold me um, that uh, remind me that there's unfinished work you know that my grandma hasn't finished yet (laughs) Um, and um, and I I hope to sort of uplift and and contribute to the well-being of of my peoples in those ways. Sure. Ethan. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that was so wonderful to hear um, and and to, you know, just listen in on, as you've mentioned, navigating the language and lands. Um, You know, similarly, I think this question, uh, I just appreciate how you posed it too, AJ. Um, You know, what voices uh, can you speak through us, right? Not, not necessarily something, I'm trying to speak for or, or but speaking from a place of this kind of relational accountability um you know so i mentioned you know i'm a japanese and chinese settler here to kanako Ivi lands uh and also a big part of my work is from this tradition of community-based work uh aiming to really accompany folks um uh to produce knowledge that you know that matters that's responsive to their needs and their struggles um and it's so funny you mentioned your grandma as a storyteller macy um because I'm working with, uh, right now, I'm working with some, quote, youth activists from the 70s who are now in their 70s. <laughs> and it's so funny when I, whenever we try to ha- have, like, small, like, check-ins via Zoom, like, no one responds to my emails or, or um, and everyone just waits <laughs> for me to call. And easily, it takes, like, two hours for me to set up, like, one conversation that's, like, a half hour. Uh, so it's so fun. Like, I, I hop online, they're telling me about their childhood and, um, but this <laughs> this particular collaboration was uh, is with a group of yeah youth activists from the '70s, now Kupuna or elders, and um, and you know I, I 
I, I am really thinking with and, and trying to channel their insights today um, and in my work. Um, they waged a historic anti-eviction struggle in 1971. In fact, we just celebrated their 50th anniversary of this particular occupation. Um, and uh, in solidarity with Native Hawaiians, um, you know, this particular movement, it catalyzed like social consciousness throughout Hawaii and the Pacific. Um, so these are the OGs that I'm working with. Uh, mm. The honorific title of, uh, of New G the other day. So I felt really <laughs> appreciated by that. <laughs> um, but what's so neat about their work is, you know, they were informed by um, the Young Lords and the Black Panthers. And um, it kind of, you know, this just working with them made me reflect on, you know, my own childhood, you know, what brought me here. And, um, you know, it made me think about my students. I was a former middle school teacher. Um, and, you know, I'd say my politicization really began in Durban. You know, a South African Zulu family took me in to... Um, and, and really showed me how much education happens in their home, you know, outside of the school system there. Um, and that, you know, that took me to Ramallah, Palestine, um, you know, and, and where young people in Palestine, um, you know, they taught me so much about what it means to be a, an American, right? Um, so they'd say, you know, Ustez, you know, you know, why does your government fund the bombs that are hitting us, right? And um, mm. so all of those kind of relations, um, including my students here in Hawaii, I think, you know, I, I'm just trying to sustain those relations, which can be hard across language and lands. Um, but really, I think all those kind of global forces, you know, bearing down through this work that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to accompany or this partnership I'm a part of uh, and so privileged to be a part of um, with these uh, elders right now. Um, but what a wonderful first question, AJ. It really got me thinking. Yeah. Your responses have me thinking because you know, I um, I was telling Macy this that I am so overwhelmed. <laughs> I have mm-hmm. way too much going on, um, and so I'm really good at being able to listen in moments. And sleep is probably one of those very spiritual times for me, where things get put on my on my mind and on my chest. And so I literally woke up and wrote this series of questions. Um, and so I'm just trying to obey the vibration <laughs> that put this, <laughs> put this on my heart. Um, mm-hmm. So I cannot claim ownership over it. Someone's ancestors are feeding <laughs> it to me in my sleep and was like, write this down. I woke up literally was like, okay, let me write this down. those are the best kinds you know you gotta yeah sit with those vibrations exactly um the voices that speak through me um i tend to immediately think of black elders and a point of solidarity i want to know while macy was talking was about the connection to land and I think about that often because I come from the next generation after great migration in the U.S. for Black people. And so what, what two generations after my grandmother migrated to California. Um, and so I come from those people who were fed up with mistreatment in the South and demanded to seek a better life elsewhere and created towns and 
uh, family structures, out of new beginnings. So those voices are always on my mind, but the disconnection in that is to a type of um, care of land that I think we lack in the West, particularly in Los Angeles, concrete jungle, mm-hmm. where um, like I can't even tell you what dirt really feels like. Um, mm. I love plants, but I don't know how to care for them well. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as we keep talking about equality and uh, justice, I can't help but feel like there's a spiritual injustice because um, in the fight for money to have some kind of piece of land, my family has been disconnected from the physical land. So there's some sort of mm-hmm. spiritual detachment there that I feel strongly in me. So I have those voices to the desire to reconnect to land, but then the desire to obtain something greater than land, some kind of earthly peace. And all those voices in communities are moving through me right now. So let's jump into the next question. Um, how does structural racism impact the voices in communities that speak through you? Yeah, well, I wanted to, you know, just call out as you're saying, like, um, that's a point of solidarity um, when you were talking about um, that, you know, our disconnection to land didn't just happen, right? It was actually structured by um, sort of colonial logics of modernity, of development. Um, and I think schooling, right, um, based on these Cartesian or, or Eurocentric logics um, uh, did separate, right, humans and culture, humans and nature, humans and land in like actually really um, profound ways that is, you know, um, sort of all over the place um, in terms of, you know, what we think of as an ecosystem and, and a lot of the work of my mentor, Dr. Megan Bang has examined, right? That like humans are seen a part of, um, sorry, apart from ecosystems most of the time, mm-hmm. um, like kind of like 98% of the time and, and like not a part of the natural world. And that's actually has been part of systems of colonialism and settler colonialism. Um, I think across, you know, multiple landscapes. Um, so I think that's also really linked to the structural racism piece that, um, you know, the impacts of voices or communities that speak through us, um, both in terms of like the the kinds of both um, erasure that is internalized, I think. Um, And so I think in my own family history, um, you know, I I am from Hokchu. So my mom and my grandma, they're Hokchu um, and my dad is Hokkien, which are different, you know, dialects of Chinese um, and also settlers in, in Singapore after multiple migrations. Um, from kind of the, oh, at least on my mom's side, the Tibetan 
like the Kunlun Mountain, Tibetan and uh, Xinjiang border region. Um, and I remember my great grand uncle, uh, my, gr my grand uncle, you know, um, as a kid telling me to never forget that. Um, and I think part of my own journey has to been trying to figure out like what um, are, are, are sort of these are our own family stories of erasure because now we don't identify or I guess we've been told not to both identify with that kind of history um, although it's like talked about like here and there but very vaguely but there's like a deliberate erasure of of those um, sort of lineage as an indigenous ancestry. Um, and, you know, now we say that we're Hokkien and Hokchu, but then in the, the, the state of Singapore, that's also like, there's this narrative of often erasure of those dialect languages. And, it, you know, it you're supposed to identify as Chinese. And um, so I just think about... Um, sort of internal um structural and also like what are the uh moves to erasure both um for survival right for um uh and what does it mean to move across lands and still um try to be good relatives to the lens that you know we live and work and both i think and and i've been trying to think about that and in my context here in in Singapore, in Northern Thailand, in um, um, I'm typically you know living and working on currently Dakota lands in Minnesota, Makoche, or what is known as Minnesota. Um, and what does it mean to be a good relative, and in, in those in those places, and and how might kind of shared experiences of erasure you know, assimilation of empire, right? And Ethan, you know, you were talking about how you were in beautiful solidarity and, and so many with so many different folks, um, both in Palestine and, and now in Hawaii, um, Hawaii. And um, yeah, what does it mean to, to move and understand movement as um, part of, of these histories and trajectories of both, um, relationships. Mm, thank you, Macy. Um, and also, AJ, yeah, I think, you know, to this note of a point of allyship, I think I'm working with this app right now, not trying not to speak over anyone. <laughs> They're kind of a way of stepping up by stepping back. But I wanted to also, yeah, honor, you know, what you shared too. Um, and yeah, everything that you just mentioned, Macy, around, um, what it means to be a good relative, you know, and, and um, I think, that, you know, that's something that, um, you know, I grew up in Hawaii um, and I think, you know, I thought I was coming quote home. And I think to kind of deepen my, my own readings of Kanako Ibi feminist uh, and, and to really engage with this question of Asian settler colonialism or settlers of color mm -hmm. um, to, to recognize that we are uninvited guests here, you know, my great grandpa, you know, didn't come to own the white plantations, but, you know, he benefited from a system that was built on white supremacy. Um, mm -hmm. And for us to engage that material history. So, um, 
what I hear so much from Macy is the structural and like internal, um, you know, mm. battles that we fight. And, you know, I think in some of my work, it's a lot of at this interpersonal level. So I've, I've made more phone calls in the past year to these elders that I get to work with <laughs> than I probably have made in the past like decade. It's, it's, it's beautiful and, and I love it. Um, but there's, you know, they've been working. So 1971 was their struggle. And we just, um, and they've been working, you know, diligently and, and patiently since. And over 50 years, there's a lot of pain, right? Um, a lot of trauma that happens horizontally. Um, so that just to kind of put a there there to all this, you know, so the coalition is a group of Native Hawaiian, Korean, Filipino, Japanese and Chinese activists, you know, many of whom are in their late 60s, early 70s right now. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of history that they have too. Um, and a lot that we're all working through even as we just try to, to do seemingly mundane things like get on a Zoom call together. Um, and so we're trying to, uh, by we, I mean, I get a, a, a chance to work with an amazing uh, Wahine graduate student uh, who's Okinawan Japanese and, and Hawaiian. Um, and so she and I are constantly engaging in these questions. Um, like how do we attend to these histories of race and racism that so powerfully show up in the work that you know, um, that shapes how I'm in the academy, that shapes how um, our Korean partners have more access and material advantage to like things like computers and our, our you know, Filipino, you know, um, comrade on Kauai, uh, you know, um, has less tech access. His wife just lost her job and, you know, he's scrambling to get to meetings. How do we build around his schedule, right? And how do we take into account the uneven ways racism works on and, and through mm -hmm. us too so we're constantly just trying to like figure all of this out and it's um again yeah it's such a gift to be working with folks who have been doing this for 50 years and they said something really mm -hmm. profound to us they said you know you you new g's are so young you know you, you got you're gonna have to you know make sure you can sustain this for 50 years too and and mm. uh, so i hear you aj in the beginning that you're <laughs> overwhelmed there's a lot going on and you know even as i listen to both of you i, I, I kind of feel that that healing energy as well and 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 just knowing that this is a long haul um so i'm, I'm kind of reminded of that now listening to macy and, and both and you as well aj okay so i want to claim a point of allyship um i personally feel or observe better than feel, I observe that there are many ways in which um, the way structural racism impacts Black people are shared. Whether or not people listen or not is a whole nother story. But I feel like that narrative is shared enough. So I would prefer not to share that narrative again and to give room to the voices that are speaking through both of you because those are narratives that are not shared enough. Mm. So I will give allyship to that moment that we need to better uplift the stories that we know we're not hearing. And, and just to react to that, I just, you know, was on social media and I think Biden passed some anti-Asian hate bill, right? And a lot of the Asian American feminists that I look up to, that I, uh, you know, try to, um, do a good job listening to are, are calling out the anti-blackness of that, right? Like, <laughs> how are we fronting an anti-Asian uh, hate bill uh, yeah. when all of this is built on anti-blackness, right? And so, 
just as a, a kind of response to your um, your comment right there, AJ, and the kind of opening space for, for us, I just want to appreciate that as well. Yeah, thank you, Ethan, for yeah mentioning that, because I think I remember, um, you know, like seeing all the anti-Asian hate, um, you know, like news and all that. And, you know, there are a lot of Asian API folks speaking out. Um, and like, I, I even went to one of the um, sort of gatherings, I guess, in, in St. Paul um, or in Manijaska um, in Dakota in um, Minnesota. And um, just the need to think about like anti-Asian hate also means like we stand up to anti-Blackness um, and that, you know, Asian folks are not only showing up when it's about anti-Asian hate, right? That like we should be showing up all the time for Black Lives Matter, um, for, you know, thinking about the Chauvin trial also that happened in, in Minneapolis and, and, and to just examine also like the anti-Blackness in our own families and communities um, because um, as, as Ethan, you know, you so beautifully pointed out that like if we don't, like there's there can be land acknowledgement, but like are we sufficiently thinking about the labor acknowledgements of um, the, the ways in which we continue to, to benefit off of, um, you know, both settler colonialism and like institutions of slavery. Um, and I think digging deeper into that is something that is is going to be critical if, if we're going to move forward in, in these points of, of allyship and solidarity. Ashe, Ashe. And towards that conversation of um, allyship, um, let's talk about the ways that, um, that, or the intersections of sexism, homophobia, transphobia, um, and how racism sort of compounds some of these issues or produces some of these issues. So how does racism influence sexism, homophobia, transphobia for the voices and communities that speak through you? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's a point that I... Um, in terms of allyship and solidarity, I feel like there's so much more work that I need to do personally um, on this. Um, I think the thing that my mind goes to though is, um, so the, the, the racialized fetishization of um, women of color um, and, and, you know, women not, you know, including two-spirit, non-binary, um, gender non-conforming, um, trans folk, um, and often the fetishization that happens as um, both, you know, it could be coined as um, exotic or, you know, the times that I've been called exotic, but you also Black women have, you know, um, that is a label that can be used for Black women or the um, 
trans women. Um, and I think that has structured a lot of racial and, and um, gender-based violence. Um, and those interse intersectional ways, um, um, be it, you know, um, the obedient Asian woman, right? Uh, kind of prototype. And I think that plays out. And I think we saw that play out in terms of the shooting of um, the, the eight women in Atlanta this year and, and how um, those narratives uh, are uh, tropes of um, the, the continued um, sexualization of, of women in those ways, I think, is, is one way that I've been um, thinking about that. But I also understand, you know, as a, as a cis um, woman of color, cis um, Hokchu, Hokkien women, um, I don't know the experiences of um, trans or, um, um, you know, those that uh, identify as queer. Um, and so I think to, to continue to be, um, to examine the intersectional nature of um, those identities and how they play out across, I think, I guess in this case, specifically back in Asian, you know, women um, and others that are trans women, gender non-conforming folks, um, I think is an area of growth for me. Mm -hmm. Echo echoing that, um, you know, uh, just kind of ongoing growth and learning as a you know, cis uh, and hetero Asian man, um, I actually pulled a, a quote that I felt like was was literally reading to me. I remember coming across this, you know, when you find a reading that, you know, seems to speak so directly mm -hmm. to your lived experiences that you're just like, whoa, like how this, this is how social structures work. You, you know, you kind of, mm -hmm. it shapes these collective experiences that just reach down into you. Um, so this is from, uh, you know, uh, Mari Matsuda, Asian American critical race theorist, and from her um, really powerful short text, "We Will Not Be Used." Check it out if you if you haven't read it yet, uh, especially if you're an Asian American dude listening to this. Um, but she, she writes this. This is a, a short quote. Um, you know, I've heard of straight Asian men say they feel so emasculated by white society that they cannot tolerate assertive women or sexually ambiguous men. Mm. She adds, "I love my Asian brothers." but I've lost my patience with malingering homophobia and sexism. Yes, the J-Town boys with their black leather jackets are adorable, but the pathetic need to put down straight women, gays, and lesbians is not. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that, I'm like, man, that's my childhood, right? You know, like how we grew up in this kind of racist, homophobic society, calling each other slurs, like this, like this intense homophobia growing up and really just needing to, to sit with this passage and see, wow, that, has, that explains so much of my childhood and, and kind of teenage years and, um, you know, continuing to listen, um, particularly our queer youth here in Hawaii who are often, you know, marginalized within already marginalized groups and, and doing so much of the school and community leadership. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm definitely looking to kind of uh, continuing to listen and to learn and, and to, um, uh, discern more ways that I can show up. 
Yeah, I I'm right there with both of you on the need to listen on the realization that I don't know enough about uh, diverse stories, and I am queer. Um, but even in that, I still don't know enough about people's stories. And I, I think I've realized about me in the last few years that I've become um, some of the elders that I despise, which I never appreciated the elders that mm. said, you know, we're Black first. Um, so deal with racism first. And then we'll get to all the rest of the stuff later. And I was like, what do you mean? Am I supposed to deal with a portion of myself first? What is what kind of mm-hmm. compartmentalization is this? I can't, I can't do this. But as I've gotten older, I have acquiesced to that kind of bullshit. And mm. it's become something that I perpetuate because I flinch sometimes when we get deep into the intersections of um of homophobia and transphobia in particular um not so much sexism I'm, I, I I have very strong feelings about that <laughs> just because I, I really feel the intersection of that as a black woman um but I think I am not helpful to the trans community at all mm-hmm. and um that is something I need to change because I understand very clearly um, the struggle that they're facing and and how my allyship can make a difference. Um, and I'm just not doing enough at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that it's been, um, my downstairs roommates are part of the, um, the, the 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 trans co- community in um, Minneapolis and um, I've just been uh, especially when you know during the uprisings and um, we were trying to feed you know people doing AIM patrol um, the American Indian Movement patrol. Um, the queer fan brigade were were patrolling the streets and making people making sure people were safe and like they were the ones taking care of everybody um, mm-hmm. because they knew what it meant to to kind of think about the well being and the health of of people in multiple dim- dimensions that I think um, non trans folks probably couldn't do as well and so I have just been so grateful to learn from um, both their generosity and um, the ways in which they've held space for so many folks right and if we can think about what it means to have good trans health care would also mean that we would have good health care for all people right and um, and so I've just been thinking about that a lot and then just when you were both AJ and and Ethan when you were talking it just was reminded of um that um in a lot of um Native communities being two-spirit like are some of the the original ways to be that you know there was an understanding of being fluid as um, actually 
more being more connected to creator um because it was it was a a refusal of these cartesian binaries of mm-hmm. of gender that mm-hmm. um i feel like we so often society both society is structured into but we're also um you know like participate in and, and i'm complicit in that mm-hmm. 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 facts facts all the way <laughs> it's so frustrating isn't it so this comes into the next question which is what is the significance of being you and doctorally educated for the voices and communities that speak through you because I feel like I want to go back to my anthropological days that there is a way that my ancestors and my elders very strategically pushed me to get the kind of education that I have in hopes that I would be able to create some kind of advantage to help our communities. But there's a way that I've been othered in these kinds of systems where I've been created this hybrid individual, this native intellectual, this orient, um, however we wanna talk about the individual, Um, but I've become something in between. And there are many ways where I'm effective in standing up for communities in those spaces, but there's times where I'm ineffective and I become complicit in such a system that I'm not helpful to some of the same people that I'm there to represent. So what does it mean for you to be this educated in these spaces for your communities? Mm. Uh, Macy, I saw you dropped off and we're able to, we're able to come back on. Um, would you want me to start this up? I yes, would... please. Yeah, sorry about that. My, oh, no um, Yeah. Glad you're able to re- reconnect. So conked easily. out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I saw Macy's name disappear. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll let AJ know when she's uh, finished the prompt. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> you know, AJ, this was one of the tougher questions for me. And, you know, maybe it is because it's asking me to think about myself and uh, in terms of it, my own significance um, relative to the people I'm trying to be accountable to. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't want to offer a cop out here, but, um, you know, I, I, I thought about this and I, I thought about, you know, what would I you know, either hope um, or want my community partners to say about, you know, like what, how, how might they answer this question and what would I hope their answers would be and how can that be a guiding kind of way that I can think about um, what role I might play uh, with, a, with a degree in academia. Um, and, you know, I think part of this um, wasn't necessarily the creation of new knowledge. Um, I think they would say, well, we really, um, we need Ethan to sustain our stories and the legacies of activism that we laid down in the 70s, right? And, 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 and how that builds on ancestral knowledges as well. And so that's something that I, I've been trying to think about. Okay, here's how I can use a degree. You know, I know we get rewarded for the newness, um, you know, for the, the different metrics we have um, for our tenure and promotion, all those other things, and, or, you know, just kind of the, how merit is, is allocated. But I, I was like, I, I don't necessarily need to do something new. It, it's more about sustaining. Um, and then I think, you know, another part is just related to teaching. So right now I'm in a oddly 
placed education leadership department. And I say oddly placed because I, I haven't been a school leader, um, but that's kind of where I, I landed for now. And, um, and I think part of my work here to be accountable to the communities um, that shape me is, is to really politicize that. So, you know, ed administration is a very, you know, it comes out of military traditions and business traditions. It's very management focused and, and to be able to, to share who I am and how I'm trying to think through these questions of working through difference, what it means to show up in the work, you know, beyond schools. How do we think about education as something that right, doesn't just happen in formal schools? Um, just to have those conversations with school leaders to humanize non-dominant young people and families and, you know, kind of scale back all the layers of deficit thinking, you know, so those are just kind of two ways I'm, I'm trying to think about my own significance in a kind of fraught way. Um, yeah. I'm loving the birds chirping. Whoever has the birds chirping, spot on. Uh, I think that's Ethan. That is, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I can do about that, so. No, I love, I love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> don't change a thing. About yeah. <laughs> they want to be part of the podcast, too. Maybe they said, find a quiet Here. place. I was like, let me try to find the quietest place I know of. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Um, the significance of us being doctorally educated. Um, I feel like I'm thinking about this in, in two different ways. One, that um, I feel like I, f on one hand, I feel like I fell into <laughs> a doctoral program. Um, and, you know, I didn't grow up being like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> get my PhD. <laughs> um, uh, and it often, you know, did feel out of reach. And, and the women in, in my family um, never, from my grandma to my mom, like, you know, high school was the highest level of, of education. Um, my dad for a while, but then he went on to um, actually graduate school and got his um, PhD. And right. um, yeah, and so um, from a, like a, a, a young man who, you know, um, with a really distraught family and just coming as you know sort of people who were sea people really um to do that i'm so proud of him and and him you know breaking those barriers for and i don't like the word barriers i shouldn't have used that word but um just just doing that in terms of for our family and and for the work that he felt was important to do in the world and building on those relationships and so on one hand, like I, and, and, and I think sort of despite that, um, I don't, one, I never thought that that could be possible for me, I think, um, as um, a woman. Um, and at the same time, I also still don't feel ever welcome. Um, 
necessarily in, within institutional, you know, academic structures. Um, uh, and so it's like interesting to sort of see this as a both end of, um, you know, knowing that you're not the first one in your family that has a doctorate. Um, and at the same time, never feeling that you're completely whole in right the, the academy. It doesn't get easier in a sense. Um, and in, in some ways it obviously does. And I would be remiss to, to um, erase that. Um, but I think also part of the, the motivation um, or me falling into um, pursuing a PhD um, and now pursuing a, a sort of tenure track jobs, right? Um, and, and my and my dad is in um, in the university who hasn't taught um, in in university settings, and he's been doing more sort of um, work in in terms of conflict and how do we talk about conflict differently in different um, spaces. Um, so in terms of navigating tenure or job in academia is, is still new for me and my family. Um, but I think... Oh no, did we just lose? Did we lose AJ? I don't know, my phone was locked. <laughs> <laughs> I was gently trying to close some of the windows just to not... Uh interrupt Macy I hope she knows that she uh I think she probably did I think it probably uh rang a little um we, we can invite her to continue once she's able to to come back on man I definitely heard kind of some of the things she was sharing and, and yeah thinking about these yeah. points of allyship yeah what what does that mean but go ahead AJ no I, I if you have a thought on this go ahead and finish it because I might distract us on something else yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, I, I think the brief thought is when the academy is so unwelcome mm. uh, and so dehumanizing it mm. also to particular folks and particular indigenous women, I think it's like 2%, you know, or even less, maybe. I'm not even sure. Um, it's, it's some dismal number. Um, you know, what are the responsibilities for folks like me who are settlers to do some of that um, just mm -hmm. to take on other kind of labor, you know, like <laughs> the labor that, you know, nobody wants to do is to, to kind of um, free up time. I know we have incredible indigenous um, Kanakalevi students here at University of Hawaii um, and, and the ways that they forge connections with um, some of my colleagues who are indigenous women. Um, I want to kind of open up time for those connections to happen, right? And, and for our students to see themselves in the professoriate. Um, and so anyway, I'm, I'm kind of going off a uh, tangent too, but just trying to do other work <laughs> to kind of allow more of that advising and one-on-one -on -one work to happen. Um, yeah. So you're going in the exact direction that I was going to go in. So <laughs> I was, I was going to go towards stra the strategy of that and how I'm currently in a place where I am caught between what I know we must do, but with, I want to be able to stand up and say, I refuse to take on the labor of, like I heard a colleague of mine, a black woman say, um, 
I know this work entails a lot of racial labor, but I refuse to take on that. And I was like, oh my God, you can do that? Like, you can, you can refuse to take on mm. certain labor? Like, that's brilliant. Do I just claim it? Do I click my heels together? Like, what do I do? How, how do I get in on that? Like, that's brilliant. Like, that's that's a word right there. I need to, you know, switch my life around. But then I keep thinking about why we've been put in these places and the privilege that we have. And so I feel like I'm teetering between because I'm on the job market. Do I stay where I'm at at an Ivy League and um, give voice to the work that I do on restorative justice and measuring structural racism because people are more likely to listen to me in a space like this? Mm -hmm. Or do I honor my life and go somewhere that may be healthier mm -hmm. um, than mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, environment? And how do I choose? Why do I always feel like it's a choice between myself and a legacy? Mm -hmm. I'm tired of that decision. <laughs> You mean the Ivy League isn't uh, a humanizing and hospitable place? For you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just stand outside with open arms. They hug me all the time. They bring me bandulce, uh, some champurado. Like they, they, they treat me so well. <laughs> oh yeah, they, gosh. I was just talking away. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, said, I wonder if she knows that she got cut off. Oh my god, I don't even know where I stopped. I was like, that was that was brilliant. Like, <laughs> 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 um, no, I, I didn't really think that. I was like, okay, I'm done, and like, there's no response. It's like, oh, and I saw Ethan's text. Um, I'm really sorry, y'all. Um, uh, I don't know where I left off. Um. But, <laughs> and, and I know you were probably chatting about something else, so we can just roll with that and I can jump in and, and share those stories at maybe a different point. <laughs> oh, we're sorry, Macy. Now, now we missed out. Um, but AJ, why don't, you, why don't you, if you don't mind, kind of restating some of what you just shared, because I think that's really powerful. And then maybe Macy can jump back in. <laughs> so I was sharing that I'm tired of, feeling like things come down to a binary decision between choosing me and my well-being or choosing a legacy and the work that must get done because mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in unique spaces. I feel very privileged to be at an Ivy League institution where people are listening to me about my measures of racism and restorative justice, um, but that doesn't mean it's the healthiest place to be. And so... What, do, what decision do I make? Do I go somewhere that's healthier and be a part of the pantheon of people of color publishing on things that never get read? Or do I stay in the Ivy League and use the attention wisely? How do I, why do I have to keep making these decisions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for um, making visible that kind of live tension um, that I feel too. And I think that's definitely a point of allyship for me. Um, and I, and I think, you know, um, both my mentors, 
uh, Carol Lee and Megan Bang have always talked about, um, you know, the academy being a place um, or sort of, oh, I think, it, let me backtrack. Like, what is kind of the work with a W, with a capital W <laughs> um, that we want to do? Um, and, you know, maybe at this point in life, like maybe the academy is a way to do that work, um, but it's only one way and it's not the way or the only way do that right and like how do we recenter on kind of um the the the, the work that we want to do or the legacy or the well-being work and and hopefully not and find a place where that isn't separate um because you know i'm sure in i don't know in in um maybe in other spaces that's still that's still attention right um and i have been really enjoying um i'm sure you all know the the nat ministry um insta feed (laughs) (laughs) because like our legacy work is also to rest Right. And our legacy work is also like capitalism has robbed too much of our ancestors mm-hmm. that like we don't need to um have them take anymore, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think to really um model um not just what rest is, but um also to reclaim rest as deeply radical and deeply part of resistance work and not just rest so that we can be productive the next day kind of a narrative mm-hmm. that uh, rest narratives get trapped into or fall into, but really um, rest as a divine gift, as rest as listening to those vibrations as you were talking about AJ um, and sleep as part of part of the work (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um, part of the healing work part of the work that we need to do um, for our kids and our grandkids and their grandkids you know Um, and, and I think to to remember those responsibilities to rest too and, and how rest puts us in different relationship to our legacy and our and, and the work that we try to put out in the world um and just to briefly kind of intersect that with um some of the a story that I was beginning to share um, <laughs> <laughs> um I think um a feeling you know both educational and justices and when I was um 17, 16 and a half, 17, um, my best friend in, in Northern Thailand, Da, she, um, you know, she was the one that was always like, like studying and loving school and excelling. And I would, I couldn't care less about, um, going to, to, to school. Um, and when she was 15, she had to, um, drop out of school for her family um, and to actually 
um, agreed to be sort of sold as a bride um, to um, for her family's um, sake and we won't go into all those you know what that means in all, in all the different levels but I as a you know 16 year old I was like um, so pissed at the world um, so confused um, and so just um, it shook my world um, oh. in, in terms of what young people have to go through. And, and this was, you know, it wasn't a one-off kind of a thing, right? Um, and she had told me that, um, Macy, like, I have to do this for my family, but why don't you study for the both of us? Wow. And I think ever since, um, I've carried that responsibility with me and have that shaped the kinds of unfinished work that mm -hmm. um, and I share um, and for my mom or my grandma that also couldn't continue um, learning um, and not that right that um, going into um to, to studying at the university is like someone's life goal or like only definition of success, right? Like that's not it. But at the same time, there are these desires to continue um, learning on, on those trajectories and, and the inabilities to right for a bunch of different reasons. And so I think what it means for me to hold those responsibilities and, and being so proud of, um, my dad for also navigating those worlds um, like comes together in in kind of the responsibilities um, and the positionalities that I um, both take up and are and, and sometimes uncomfortable with at the same time right but currently um, have been able to at least do some or, or or see the academy and having a PhD as um, one way to do the work that I that I want to do in the world, especially in Indigenous education in Thailand. Mm. Thank you for sharing that story. Yes, thank you, Macy. Yeah. Hmm. And if you have any tips or tools for how to help your parents go to college, I have recently convinced my adopted mother to go finish what she started at the University of El Salvador, University of San Salvador. Um, mm. So if you have any tips on how to help her, let me know. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's all ready. This weekend, we sign her up for summer classes. <laughs> so she's eager to show so I can stop being the only college graduate she's eager to show all my nieces and nephews herself instead of trying to convince them to be like auntie she's like nah I'll show them to be like me um so any help <laughs> <laughs> yeah I that is that is so inspiring um and just like shape-shifting for not shape-shifting like 
ground shifting for me. Um, and I feel like I'm going to talk to my mom <laughs> once I get out of quarantine. <laughs> that. that would be so dope. I know. I'm excited. For, I'm scared, though. I, I mean, I'm going to have to sit through every class with her. Um, she's going to be making sure mm-hmm. that I help her with every assignment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Um, but I do think it will be huge for our family. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. close out with our last question. and Let's sort of merge it together. Um, from your location, what does social change look like for the voices and communities that speak through you and how can people be allies to the voices and communities that speak through you? Um, I can go quickly. I think uh, I was at uh, um, the Mekong Cultural Hub, a kind of a, a gathering of artists in Southeast Asia um, that's reclaiming sort of... Uh, both art and activism um, here and across, you know, um, yeah, the different nation states in Southeast Asia. And we were talking about, you know, like what does, what makes Southeast Asia, Southeast Asia? <laughs> um, like what actually holds us together? And so just speaking here from, from Singapore, from um, Southeast Asia um, as a region, right? Not that I, um, I think one of the things that we talked about yesterday that I was thinking about in relation to this question was the the collective experiences, um, while distinct and different, obviously, for each of us um, at a nation state level, at a familial level, but the different experiences of colonialism and the different experiences of empire that kind of connect Southeast Asia in really um, important ways and that we can um, sort of think about how the extensions of the extensions of empire here Um, and I think and at the same time not beginning with empire, right? I think so much of maybe justice work or critical work um, begins with these um, ontological denials, as, you know, Megan Banks says. Um, But I guess like being clear about who gets to claim our energy and our time and not to begin with colonization, mm-hmm. um, but to begin with our the arts and our languages and our lands as like um, what we want to uphold and bring forth in, into the world. And while also at the same time being critical of how power plays out um, through experiences of empire and colonialism. So I think solidarity for me here in Southeast Asia really speaks to needing to start with our arts, start with our um, languages, start with our lands and our waters and our skies and be connected by those skies and those waters. Um, And like very literally, right? With our like 
canoe or boating traditions and the stars mm -hmm. that actually connect us here um, to then also think deeply about what connects us as a region is also these understandings of colonialism and reaches of empire um, across uh, maritime and um, Mekong, Southeast Asia. Mm, that was so beautifully put. Um, AJ, did you want to jump in too first? Um, sure. Um, I'm just meditating on that and seeing it, uh, manifesting that. Um, I think for me, social change would look like um, allowing for that appreciation of arts and language and culture and tradition, but protecting against um, categorizations that put us into the kind of box that limit the resources that we have mm -hmm. to live the lives that we intend to leave, uh, lead. Um, so I guess that's where the allyship or the solidarity would come from for me, allowing the space for whatever we want to share and however we want to live our lives, but protecting against the ills of society and humanity whenever they do arise. Um, and as a statistician, that is a fine line that I'm still trying to figure out because <laughs> I do a lot of putting people into groups to monitor the impact of society on the health of groups. Um, but I understand very clearly that those individuals I'm grouping are not of those groups. Um, I'm putting them there to make sure that the way society sees them is not impeding on their health and to catch it when it is happening. Mm -hmm. But however they decide to refer to themselves is fine with me. Um, and that choice, that agency is important to me. So that's sort of social change. I want to get all of us to a place where we can see that, where we can not have issues when people say, oh, I want to go be with my people. It's not a, a diss to another group of people. <laughs> it's a, a recognition of where they feel safe and nurtured and loved and that I can respect that and still protect you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, AJ. Yeah, thank you, AJ. Yeah, I, I think just echoing both of you uh, in terms of thinking about social change through this language of, of self-determination, of being able to control the conditions of our lives. And I heard a lot mm -hmm. of that in creating space for survivance and then protecting against, right, so much. And in Hawaii, it's we're constantly trying to protect lands and people against uh, kind of a tourism and military expansion uh, on this mm. island. And, um, and so, you know, I think it, it comes with my positionality too in thinking about self-determination uh, or this kind of way of thinking about social change and really honoring, you know, whatever Kanako Ibi say social change should be and figuring out how to, um, how to support that. And um, even as you're reflecting on your choice between AJ, between, you know, your own health and your legacy and um, being able to 
be in this conversation with you and, and to, of course, share our thoughts, but to ultimately find ways to support whatever self-determined path you choose. You know, I think that that is um, how I'm, I'm trying to think about solidarity. Um, and I should also, I just had a note here. I, I think so much of how people succeed at allyship. AJ, I think you just modeled a lot of it too. Um, it was pretty fun. I actually, uh, I, I uh, reflected on some of our email conversations among the three of us. We have like this one thread with like 30 <laughs> messages and, and AJ is writing, Macy, you probably remember this, like we're like just, you know, we're just trying to figure things out like with the postdoc and stuff. And, you know, it's just so evident for me to see AJ writing like novels in this email of like, mm. like supporting Macy and then like mm. for me to be a part of that and to learn and like, wow, like solidarity is like, like being concrete, <laughs> AJ, I should forward this email to you both. Um, AJ was like walking through, uh, Macy, I don't remember this, like, here's what you do. You know, you set up an MOU with your advisor, you document your work. It was like concrete. Oh my gosh, y'all saved my life. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was spiritual and, and, and humanizing and, and that kind of collective support, but it was material and concrete and actionable. And I think that's how people succeed too, right? It's, it's doing the work, you know, and, and, and that unglamorous work that no one sees, you know, and, 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 and putting that, that work in and, and kind of walking the walk. So I just wanted to lift you up, AJ, and, and kind of how you've always kind of showed up for, mm-hmm. uh, your, you know, speak for, you know, just how you showed up in, in all these spaces, but, and, and just what a wonderful, <laughs> even no. this conversation. Hey, we lost Macy, huh? We love <laughs> But AJ, you know, like even how you organize this little conversation, I don't know if this will get cut off in the final edit, but <laughs> but just it's just so funny to me, like how you invited us and then just sent us like reimbursement paperwork. I'm like, wow, that's never happened to me. You know, it's just like the onus isn't on us to even think about our labor, our worth. It's just like it, I learned a lot, as I mentioned in text, you know, just like how you facilitate this dialogue and um, and really just set everything up. So. We hope we can get Macy back on in this this last few minutes. I'm sure she'll 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 be able to hop back on in a sec. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> this, I mean, the situation with Macy being knocked off is just hilarious to me. <laughs> I don't even know what to think about um, what's happening, and I have not checked um, astrology to know if we're in some kind of retrograde or something <laughs> with technology so this is just hilarious but I appreciate your words so much because I do I do try to um embody it so I'm glad that yeah. um it is coming across yeah. <laughs> so why you remind me of that email thread that's hilarious Macy <laughs> <laughs> uh, texted me oh my god my internet um <laughs> do you have any last thoughts you want to leave the, the listeners with or the space with uh, you know the only thing I was going to make a connection back to was how it ties back to I think how the question you asked around like social change and controlling the conditions of our lives and, and you know marking out and creating our own path that's self-determined and um you know, I, I think these conversations, I, they, they kind of happen um, and you don't know how much you need it, I think, is, is something for me that I, I struggle with. Um, and, you know, it's just it's fun to arrive at this, quote, 
you know, pause, I'll say not the end of a conversation, you know, I get, you know, this, I'm sure we'll continue to talk. Um, but just, um, that gratitude, you know, and, um, I'm sure we'll have a, a thread. We'll start another thread and Macy will be able to express her <laughs> gratitude as well. But um, AJ, yeah, thank you. It's just been really nice to connect um, and reconnect. Yes, yes. I agree 100%. I miss both of you. Um, and that was just crazy how we we met at that conference and started a deep conversation. <laughs> <laughs> in a ballroom <laughs> that just carried over into email and text messages that have been um, delightful. So I knew the second Cheyenne was like, do you want to do a podcast? I was like, absolutely. And I know who I want to be in conversation with. Um, so thank you for being you and the work that you're doing, because I haven't gotten any updates on your work, but you are doing some powerful stuff over there. Mm, thank you. Really, I'm also, really powerful stuff. I, I, I want to uh, bring Macy into the room via text. I'm <laughs> responding. We're talking about you and lifting you up. Uh, she says, I'm so, so sad. Arr. And so we, 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 we feel you via text. Um, yes, we, we listen to this. She'll, she'll be able to, to feel her presence via text. <laughs> <laughs> I just looked at the text. That's hilarious. <laughs> She really did say R. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you, AJ. So good. Be, be in touch. Um, and yeah. same for you, Macy, when you hear this. It was brought to you by the Otsuka Foundation. In addition, this podcast would not have been possible without the support from the community surrounding care. We want you to listen in for our next episode and stay connected through our Facebook page, MGH Care, and our Twitter page, MGH Care Research.